Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Wow. <laughs> really is interesting to see how many people are actually... Now when you're talking, I can see you a little bit more clearly just to warn you beforehand. Why don't we open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 1. I would have to say that before I start, one of the things that I appreciate this morning is Bob sharing how a lot of times we do things out of fear and guilt. And I think without that kind of being a prologue or a preface to the message, what I would want to communicate today is this isn't about being Jesus 2.0, but it's actually about us getting to a place where the life of Christ which exists in us, is allowed to be expressed through us. And that's a work of God. So I don't want us to leave here thinking, I've got to be more like Jesus, and then really strive and struggle and fail and go, ah, I just can't do it and give up. So I think that's a good thing for us to just kind of remember as we begin to look at what it really means when Jesus says, follow me. Let's start with Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. It reads, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it's a little bit more than kind of just hanging out or religiously following something like we would religiously follow maybe a baseball team or a basketball team or a specific author or even a a specific artist or actor. Like there are certain actors that when they have a movie that comes out, we're there because we just like the way that they act. But when Jesus is saying, follow me, he's taking it a little bit, a little bit, actually I should say a lot more differently than we might think of following if you're a sports fan and you're invested, in a sense, in your team, you give them your time, uh, you sometimes will give them your money, uh, you'll invest your emotional effort in wanting to see them win and win it all. But still, if they don't win it all, you don't really lose a lot. Now, what I mean by that is, for instance, when the Bulls were knocked out of the first round, uh, a lot of us were probably disappointed, unless you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan. And uh, what was my loss? Well, actually, it was gain because now I didn't have to watch the NBA playoffs, let alone the finals. So there's not a real investment there. If the Bulls never win another championship ever again, I'm not going to lose much. Because there's not really something about my following them that really affects my life in a deep and eternal manner. Which is totally different from what Jesus is talking about when he says, follow me. Because in a sense, when Jesus says, follow me, what he is saying is, you are my disciples. And to us, discipleship, like following in some ways, has a little bit deeper deeper of a meaning. And what I mean by that is when we think of discipleship and I say that word, hey, you should have a discipleship relationship. Many of us think of, well, 
I should have some curriculum that I go over with, some information that we go through, information that we work through versus I should memorize all of these kind of curriculum ideas and not realizing that discipleship has a deeper meaning of actually imitation. So when we're talking about discipleship, we're not talking about information, but imitation. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's not saying religiously hang out with me and hopefully you will learn something. But back in the days of Jesus, when a rabbi said, follow me, what he meant is when you follow me, I want you to imitate me. And so when a disciple would follow this rabbi, they would watch him very carefully. They would watch them like a hawk. They would watch the way they would eat, the way they would talk, the way they would read, the way they would minister. And some went so far, and I'm not trying to be crass, but to actually watch how they went to the bathroom. Because they wanted to imitate their master in every way possible so that when people saw them, they actually saw the master. And so when Jesus says here to Andrew and Simon, follow me, what he's saying is, I want you to imitate me. The way I fish for men is the way I want you to fish for men. So that when people see you, they're actually seeing me. So discipleship is not a program or a curriculum. What it really is, is the imitation of Christ. And that, I think, is a paradigm shift for us. Let me say it again. Discipleship is the imitation of Christ. So when we are called Christians or disciples of Jesus, people are looking at us in a way that says that person is like Jesus. They imitate Jesus. The things that Jesus would do in their situation is the thing that they are actually doing. And that's what discipleship is. And that is what it means to actually be a disciple. Now, we look at this instance and we might think to ourselves, wow, these guys are, are really good disciples. In the sense that Jesus one day, walking along the Sea of Galilee, saw these two guys that he didn't know. And he says, hey, dudes, follow me. And they dropped their nets and they followed after him. If that's the picture that you have of these verses, what you've probably missed is the months that have quite possibly gone on before this where Simon Peter and Andrew were actually watching and talking with Jesus so that they got to a place when Jesus said, now is the time that I am inviting you to be my disciples, to imitate me and to follow after me. Now, the reason I bring that up is because that context allows us to see that there's a time that God gives us to actually count the cost of what it really means to be a disciple. It's not, hey, I'm going to be saved from my sins. I'm going to go to heaven, and that's good enough. What it really is, when Jesus calls us to be saved from our sins, he's calling us to a life of imitation. So that when we say, Jesus... You are my savior. We're also saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and my master. And the way you would live my life is the way I'm going to strive to live my life in the context in which you have put me. And I'm going to count the cost because some of the things that Jesus actually asks of us to be like him are going to cost us everything. But he's worth it 
Because the hope is that like Paul, we would be able to say that when I look at all the things that I have accomplished and all the things that I have achieved, they are like dung compared to the surpassing greatness of imitating Jesus Christ, my Lord, in my life. Now, let's take a look at this a little bit more because the idea then ultimately is when Jesus says, follow me, he's not just saying it here to Simon and Andrew, but in a future date, he's also saying to each and every one of us, follow me. Now, I'd like to ask the community group leaders, if if you're here, you don't have to raise your hands, but does anyone remember what the definition of success for a community group member is? Now, don't raise your hand and stand up and start saying something, and then I have to say, no, that's not it, and you're embarrassed. I'm hoping that you remember. But let me give you the definition what uh, <coughs> success is. And I'm trying to get this word for word, and then simplify it as best as possible. <coughs> the idea of success for us is that a person would become like Christ in their desires, their thoughts, their words, and their actions. That's what success is. So when we're looking at our small groups and we're looking at the people around us, we are not successful when there are 20 people in our group and everyone comes and everyone loves being together. And the times that we spend together are times that bring us great joy. And people are saying, wow, we want to have more people in this. And so let's birth groups. That's not what success is. What success is when we can look at each other and we can say, Three months, six months, nine months, a year ago, since I have known you, I am seeing you become more like Christ in your desires, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. Because I can remember when your biggest concern was how you're going to pay bills. But then you had an opportunity to get a raise, but it would have affected your attendance at small group. And you said... I would rather spend my time with this community of believers getting to be more like Jesus than to remove some of the worries that I have over my finances. That's success. That's success. Because ultimately, when we make that our definition of success, what are we saying? We want to be like Christ in our desires, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We want to imitate him. One of the things that I I try to do at the small group, I've been a part of the Transformers small group now for a few months. And one of the things that I try to do is when there's no discussion and we're sitting around and the only person who's talking in me is the other person, I usually try to introduce someone else into the conversation. So if we can kind of pick a conversation, if you can imagine that uh, Ray, uh, Randy and Missy and I are in the midst of a small group and uh, Ray asks a question about some scripture part, the application part from the we and uh, him and I are talking, and, we're, and I'm challenging him. And rather than just having him and I sit there, talk back and forth, and have a wonderful dialogue between the two of us, one of the things that I might try to do is to go, hey, Ray, Randy wants to ask you a question. And then I'll ask the question. Now, Randy might not even be thinking what that question is, but I'm asking the question because I want Randy to feel encouraged that he will actually ask questions himself in the future. So that's what I do in the midst of my small group. It is most a beautiful experience when Perry started doing that in our group, when he started saying, well, I think Howie would like to ask the question. That's the idea of what imitation is. It's kind of like one of the things that I would say in a lighter sense is when people cut a corny joke, who do they remind you of? 
They say, you, that makes me feel warm because I'm the king of corn. And that's what it kind of means. Like, imitate me the way I lead or the way I do this as I imitate Christ is the way you are supposed to follow and imitate Christ as well. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is, can I hear you? Imitation of Christ. That's it. It's imitation of Christ. It is not a curriculum. It is the imitation of Christ. I am a disciple of Christ. How do I know? Because in my circumstances, I imitate him. I do the things that he would do. I say the things that he would say. I have the desires and the thoughts that he would actually say. Now, if we understand that discipleship is imitation, how are we then supposed to imitate Jesus? I'm going to deal with some of the internal issues that I think, and then we'll affect the external issues as well. And I'm going to look at two things, two things. First of all, number one, compassion. So flip to Mark chapter one, just slip down just a little bit. And we're going to look at verses 40 through 42. A man with leprosy came to Jesus And begged him on his knees. If you are willing. Make me clean. Filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand. And touched the man. I am willing he said be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cured. Now in those days. A leper was an untouchable. They were a social outcast. Uh, They had nowhere to go, basically, except to hang out with other lepers. They were not allowed to be participants in the community because they were diseased. And so whenever a leper went somewhere, he had to cry out, leper, I'm a leper, I'm a leper, something like that, because then people would know I'm not supposed to go near him. And realizing that this guy, knowing who Jesus was in some way, comes up to him and says, I'm a leper. I know that you can heal me. Please heal me. And notice how Jesus responds. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. An absolute no-no. But look at the desire, the heartfelt passion of Jesus. It's compassion. He was filled with compassion. And the idea of the compassion here is the idea that there was great brokenheartedness. There was a sorrow at the condition of this man. Because here he is, a social outcast, unable to mingle with everyone else, family, friends, you name it. He's been removed. And Jesus is brokenhearted and he's filled with compassion. But there's another part of this word compassion, which is also angry. Jesus is angry because as he looks at this man, he's not angry that he has leprosy, but he's angry that he has leprosy, which means this. He's angry that such a disease exists because sin in the world. So Jesus here filled with compassion, a broken heartedness and an anger over this man's situation. So filled reaches out and he touches him. Because he's so brokenhearted and so angry at the consequences and effects of sin. He is filled with compassion. Now, what is discipleship? Discipleship is imitation. How are we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who have responded to his call, which has asked, follow me. How are we to be compassionate in our world? 
I believe, like Jesus, we are to be brokenhearted over the injustices that exist in our world, whatever they may be. And I also believe that we are to be angry at the things that are wrong with this world. Now, how many of you have seen the movie Dolphin Tail? <clears throat> okay, don't be ashamed. I probably have seen it about eight times in the last two weeks because little Janie likes to watch it. Uh, she sits for absolutely nothing except uh, Wiggles and um, Wiggles Monkey Man and uh, this movie Dolphin Tail, which is really weird because I don't know why she does it, but she just does it anyway. But when you get to the end of the film, what they begin to show you is this whale who lost, not whale, sorry, it's Dolphin Tail and I'm saying whale. Where did that come from? But this dolphin, I almost said whale again, this dolphin who has lost his tail, they, they give him this um, prosthetic thing eventually in the end. But near the end of the film, what they begin to show you is all of these other little kids who have similar difficulties. One kid is actually getting into the pool and he's missing two legs. When I saw that, I was filled with compassion because I felt a heartbrokenness that this eight or nine year old child actually doesn't have the legs to run around and play. And it angered me because I thought of the world that we live in is a broken world and things like this actually exist and it bothers me. Now, let me ask you, when was the last time your heart was broken and you were angry about injustice? Now, I'm not going to try to make you feel guilty here, but I want you to think for a moment. When was the last time that you were truly heartbroken? You may have even shed real tears by the fact that when you looked at something and you said, this is wrong, this should not be, and then did something. You see, because that's what compassion is. Because I don't want you to just sit there and go, oh, you know what? This is wrong. I'm sad. I'm brokenhearted. I'm angry. And then do nothing. That is not compassion. Jesus was filled with compassion. And he reached out and he touched the man and he said, be healed. So Jesus says to us, follow me, imitate me, be my disciples in a world that is hurting and suffering and broken and fallen. When was the last time you were brokenhearted and angry and did something? Take about 10 seconds to think about that. When was the last time? Now, not to make you feel guilty, but if it has been a while, you have stopped imitating Jesus. And that's what he has called us to do. Follow me. Imitate me. This is not one instance in scripture alone that we're talking about. Throughout all of scripture, Jesus is brokenhearted and angry. I think some of the anger and the angst that he has towards the Pharisees is not just because they are self-righteous. It is because they have missed the point and it breaks his heart and it makes him angry. As a parent, you know, like some of us are trying to get our kids to put their arm down because, you know, they say, oh, you know, my kids they yell at me all the time. My parents just yell and yell and yell and yell. They never stop yelling. You know, I guess a lot of the, they're not here, I guess, but it's okay for us though, right? Why do we yell at our kids? 
because we get brokenhearted and angry because we want the best for them. Jesus was filled with compassion. And if discipleship is imitation, Jesus' call for us is to be compassionate people. Uh, Let's move on, though. Let's flip to Mark chapter 14. Let's look at verses 32 through 36. Jesus and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. What is discipleship? Imitation. All right, I think we're getting a little groundswell of people beginning. Don't be afraid. What is discipleship? Imitation. It's the imitation of Christ, which is a a really boring book to read if you ever get it. Not that I'm not a mystic or anything, and I apologize for that, Marcus, if that's one of your favorite books. But for me, it was a very boring book. But the ultimate goal of Scripture is, because Scripture is not boring, is the imitation of Christ. We must imitate him in our compassion, and we must imitate him in our submission. We all know the situation. Really, basically, the end is near. And Jesus knows it. And one of the things that I think about this is, is this is not a surprise to Jesus. It's not like he went to the, uh, he went to the garden and he said, oh, hey, uh, whoa, wait a minute, God, you want me to give my life now? What do you mean? No, this is something that has been mulling over his entire life as he is reflected and coming to a point where the cross is a determining factor in everything. And so when Jesus gets here, he's now experiencing the moment is near and the physical pain that he is about to endure and the emotional pain of being separated from his father, whom he has never been separated from before, is difficult. And the spiritual pain of being separated from his father, which he has never experienced before, comes crashing down and like us, Like a human being in the midst of great difficulty, he says, God, as difficult as this is, please take it away from me if there's another way. But if there is not, then I'll do it. I will submit. I will trust. I will follow what you're asking me to do. In the same way, we are called to imitate Christ. I can guarantee beyond any doubt that every one of us here today has either suffered greatly, is suffering greatly now, or will suffer greatly in the future. And I would almost go so far as to say that many of us here today are an example of all three of those. And many times what suffering does, it reveals in us where our real heart is with God. I personally do not like to suffer. I would enjoy the comfortable life of a pastorate in Hawaii with a bunch of old people not being concerned about having to be a church growth guru. That would be wonderful. But that's not the way it is. 
Many of us would prefer ease over the pain and difficulty of living life, let alone living life in Christ. But if we are to be imitators of Christ, the expectation is that pain and suffering will come not just because life is life, but because we follow Christ. And the attitude, the heart desire that we are to have is to imitate Christ and to say, God, this is not easy. But whatever it takes, I will give it up. I will give up everything. I am all in. Like the White Sox little saying last year, we are all in. We're just not going to be an over 500 team, but we are all in. All in. What Jesus is saying here is, God, everything is yours. And so even though this is not going to be a very enjoyable experience, I submit myself to you and I say, I trust you and I will follow you. Everything that I have is yours. I submit, I give it up, take it. Because it wasn't mine anyway. Let me ask you this question. In imitating Christ in your life, is there anything that God has asked you to sacrifice in a major way lately? Has he brought you to a place where he has said, okay, this is where we're at now. This is where you're at. And the next stage that you need to take a walk through is this. And it's going to be hard. Have you gotten to that place where, like Jesus, you can say, God, this is difficult, but it's yours, and I give up, and I will do what you're asking me to do. Have you gotten to a place that when God asks you to do something, that you're willing to do it? Have you gotten to a place where God says, you know that person that you have held that grudge for now two years or three years or five years or ten years, that person that you've held that anger, will you give it up even if you go and say something to them and they say, don't bother me none, and I'm not saying sorry. Will you, like Christ, submit to God's call to forgiveness? Will you, like Christ, be willing to say, God, I am all in and that no matter what it is, my desire, my heart's desire is to do what you want me to do. No matter what, I am all in because discipleship is imitation. It is being like Christ. It is saying, Christ, I am all in. I will follow you. Those are the heart issues of following Christ. Now, there's a lot more if you look throughout all of Scripture in being like Christ. There are things like loving like Christ, serving like Christ, um, comforting like Christ, confronting like Christ, doing everything that Jesus did, and that is what discipleship is. But you're sitting there right now, and you're absolutely and hopefully overwhelmed by the thought that you need to be like Jesus because your compassion might be a little bit low, and your submission might be even a little bit lower. And you might be thinking, if I just try a little bit harder today and tomorrow, and I'm inspired from this, I can move forward and begin to feel less guilt and shame and embarrassment that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. If you leave here with that, you have missed the absolute point. Because it is our absolute inability to be like Christ 
that leads to that fear and that guilt and that shame over and over again, which ultimately hardens our hearts because we think to ourselves, I can't do it, so I just quit. Has anyone here ever tried something over and over and over again and you were never successful and you never want to do it again? I mean, just for me, and a simple thing like playing sports, no matter how hard I try, I cannot get mad at people when they make a mistake. Even if I make a mistake, I get mad at myself. And I try over and over and over again, and it's an absolute failure, so I stopped trying. And then I had somebody say, boy, that's really a weak way to do things. And it is. Because I think there is something in Scripture, in, in, in imitating Christ, that gives each and every one of us the hope that we can actually be like Christ. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Here is the crux of imitating Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ... And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Here's what is crucial. Those words, I have been crucified. It's not, I hope to be crucified or I one day will be crucified. If you have come to a place where you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you have crossed the line of faith, you have believed that he is God who has come to take away all of your sin and that his blood is sufficient to cover not only your sin but everyone's sin and you become a follower of Christ that means you have been it's not an issue but you have been crucified with Christ it is finished it is done it is over so the life that you live no longer has to be you trying to be Jesus 2.0 but to let Jesus be Jesus in you to fill you, to strengthen you, to give you what you need by faith in order to live the life of Christ. So the compassion that you you lack is not Jesus going, hey, get more compassionate. Get out there and see the pain in the world and cry a little bit and try to do something. That's not the call. The call is let the life of Christ in you, that exists in you already, like the very blood that grows throughout your body, as it exists in you, let that life out. And when you struggle through saying, God, I don't want to do that. I am not going to do that. Let the life of Christ that is already in you, by faith, be expressed in your life. Allowing the Spirit to fill you to let that life of Christ be the life of Christ. The problem, I think, in many countries all over the world, not just in America and not just in the churches in America or even our church with people is that we have forgotten that discipleship is imitation. We have forgotten that when Jesus says, follow me, and we follow him, he's saying, don't just hang out with Christians. Don't just do nice things because Christians do nice things. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is imitation. The imitation of Christ. 
Be like me, is what Jesus is saying. He doesn't say, be like Mike. You know that movie that they made about be like Mike, and everyone tries to dunk like Mike, so we put the basketball rim down to eight feet so that we can look like we can actually dunk? That's not the call. It's not be like Mike. It's be like me. Be like me, which you can't be like me unless you let me live in you. There's no excuse. I wish I could say, you know, real discipleship, it's a hard road, and it is. It's a difficult road, and it is. But there's no excuse for not being like Christ in the midst of our struggles and our sin when Jesus says, I am in you. And let me express myself through you by faith when you trust that I am in you and that I will live through you. So it's not works, but it's actually us getting to a place where we continue to see who he is through our times of worship and reading his word and prayer and experiencing ministry. And we get to see a fuller picture of who he is, that he actually changes our desires and our thoughts which leads to a change of our words and our actions. Discipleship is what? Imitation. The imitation of Christ. That's what discipleship is. So we don't have to worry about some curriculum that we have to develop. But to realize that every one of you here who has responded to Jesus' call to follow me is actually a discipler. Good or bad, you are discipling people by the life that you live. And it's seen in the way that you imitate Christ in your situation. Now, the way I may follow Christ is going to be a little bit different from you. But ultimately, the idea is to be like him. Let me give you an example. For instance, uh, the place where I work. Uh, we don't go to afternoon or evening uh, bars uh, to drink. Um, <clears throat> and I have no desire to. That's a little bit different for me. For you, maybe, perhaps, depending on how you read scripture, maybe someone else sees that as okay because you are among people and you're sharing your faith among people where it might be a little awkward and odd. You see, because in America, everyone else all over the world looks at us and goes, you guys are prudes when it comes to drinking. And again, I'm not encouraging drinking because one of the things that scares me is that by drinking, someone might stumble. They might be offended that I'm drinking or they might actually be an alcoholic and they say, if he can drink, I can drink. But listen to what I'm saying, where you are following Christ in your situation. It's you learning how to have that relationship with Christ so that you follow him where you're at, because I can't tell you how to follow Christ in specific ways. I can give you a general picture of learning how to be compassionate and serving and loving and all those other things that are in scripture. But I cannot tell you specifically how it is worked out in your life which is why we must seek God. And the more we see him, the more he forms and shapes us to be like him because his life is already in us. And so he doesn't call us to improvement or self-improvement. He calls us to follow Jesus, to imitate Jesus in the power of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, <clears throat> what you ask of us sometimes 
many times. It's overwhelming and even quite possibly impossible. As we understand the call of Jesus to follow him, to understand that it's not a call to finishing a curriculum, reading a series of books or watching DVDs or listening to a CD. It's the imitation of your son, Jesus. Your son who said, I don't do anything unless my father does it. Imitation. Jesus imitating the father, calling us to imitate him as he imitates you. See Paul to say, Follow me as I follow Jesus, to be imitators. Father, we ask that you now, in your spirit, stir in us the realization in our hearts, our minds, our body, our soul, our spirit that we have been united with Christ in his death resurrection and ascension into heaven that all power to live the impossible life of imitating Jesus exists within us train us in heart and mind to be willing to give ourselves fully all in to you submitting ourselves trusting that what you've done is real that we don't live here trying to be more like Jesus in our own strength and failing and quitting. But to leave here realizing that there is hope, that the God of the universe has made his dwelling place within us through his spirit, that as the temples and the children of God, we might be able to live in a broken and fallen world like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is.